1: Nature is very powerful. And, you know, if we think back, like during World War II, 40% of Americans were growing their own food and they had victory gardens. Today, less than 1% of America grows their own food. So this is an opportunity for people to grow their own food.
0: Doug Evans is the national best-selling author of the wildly popular book, The Sprout Book, Tap into the Power of the World's Most Nutritious Food, which teaches readers how to easily grow sprouts in their kitchen with minimal supplies. Doug is also a veteran and plant-based health movement pioneer who went from eating fatty foods for decades to eating a raw vegan diet almost overnight in 1999. After changing his eating habits, he co-founded Organic Avenue, one of the first exclusively plant-based retail chains in the country and later founded Juicero, the first fresh farm-to-glass automatic cold-pressed juicer with the mission of bringing fresh organic fruits and vegetables to the home. Doug raised $120 million for Juicero and shipped over 1 million servings. So in this episode, I chat with Doug about his journey, how he went from the typical standard American diet in New York City, living that fast paced lifestyle to a raw vegan diet almost overnight. We talked about his health changes. We talked a lot about sprouting, which is the topic of this podcast, why it's so beneficial, how it's magical and amazing and fascinating and how you can start sprouting at home. So I've played around with some sprouting, mostly using sprouting kits, and I really do enjoy eating sprouts, but I fell out of the habit. I fell literally out of just eating a bunch of fresh raw veggies during this busy season of my life. So I am going to be deliberate about restarting my sprouting habit and my fresh raw veggie habit, because I do admit that when I eat that way, I feel So amazing and vibrant and happy and joyful and light, but you do have to make it part of your routine. It's not just going to magically appear because it is definitely not the default of life here in the United States and most westernized countries. Even going to the airport, you can't even find one like fresh thing. It's becoming a little more common, but it's still a huge scavenger hunt. So, if you like me, have also fallen out of the habit of eating fresh raw foods, including them in your diet regularly. Join me. Let's do it together. I'll do a few posts on Instagram to show you how I'm doing, but I definitely want to integrate this. And I hope that this episode will also inspire you about the power, but also how easy it is to do it. So I hope that you love this episode and that you have a very fantastic day. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by healthcare professionals. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a healthcare professional. Doug Evans, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am excited uh, to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, I can't wait to learn more about sprouting and how we can make it easy and accessible for all of us at home. But before we get to your book and more about sprouting, I want to know how this all even began. You went from eating typical American foods in New York City, which is probably the Mecca of all things, American food, right? That's like pizza and, and fries and everything. Um, to raw vegan almost overnight. So why did you make that choice?
1: I mean, literally, like I loved life and I was having the time of my life, you know, at age 17, I joined the U.S. Army and I was a paratrooper in the Army. When I got out of the Army, I was a workaholic. And one of my rewards for being a workaholic was that I was able to buy a lot of food, eat a lot of food, eat any cuisine, go anywhere and just eat, eat, eat. And so food, I was very passionate about eating food. And then when I was 33 years old, um, seemingly my entire family um, was developing um, these chronic illnesses that ultimately led to death. And when my aunt got type 2 diabetes and they performed a double amputation on her feet. And then she died of complications with diabetes. And I had never made the connection between diabetes and eating. I thought like, oh, diabetes must be in the genes. You know, I heard like my grandfather might have had diabetes, right? And then my uncle died of heart disease. Then my mother died of stomach cancer. My father died of heart disease. And then my older brother, who's only two years older than me, became overweight, obese, diabetic, and then had the first of three strokes and a heart attack. Oh, my goodness. So I thought like, hey, I was genetically cursed and that, you know, life didn't matter. And then I met someone who was plant-based. They were vegan and they had a similar uh, family health history she had a sister who died of leukemia a mother who died of cancer and she looked me right in the eye and told me that i was living a carcinogenic heart disease diabetic lifestyle and she was so authentic and so sincere and so compassionate that she wasn't judging me she was just saying like hey your behavior is going to lead to the consequences of your uh, your family members. And I, and I was like, well, what can I do? And she said, well, you can eat plants. You could eat all plants. And my brain could not process that hypothesis. It was it, like incomprehensible for me because I was eating meat, chicken, fish, dairy, pizza, pasta, bagels, eggs, bacon, you know, every single day, candy, chocolate, soda, ice cream, desserts from Little Italy. Like every day I was just stuffing my face and I was enjoying it. And then so she then said, well, do you like fruit? And I always loved fruit. I thought fruit was great, but we grew up relatively poor, lower middle income. So when we had fruit, My mother would, you know, dose out the cherries, like we would get 12 cherries or we'd get a slice of watermelon or we'd get an orange or an apple. So we never had abundance of fruit. And she said, well, you can eat all the fruit you want, all the vegetables that you want. And I had already, strangely enough, I'd already been eating sprouts and drinking wheatgrass juice for a few years before that. Because the the green color resonated with me on a vibrational level. So I remember being in the Union Square farmers market, seeing the wheatgrass guy, seeing the sprouts guy. And I was like, oh, that's terrific. That seems really fresh. I will add that to my diet, right? I wasn't going to just be a wheatgrass guy, but I was going to add that to my diet. So when uh, my friend, Denise, said to me, I could eat all the fruit I wanted. Um, And, you know, I was like, oh, wow. So in the next two-week period, I went from eating anything to eating vegetarian because I still didn't, you know, connect all the dots. Then I went vegan. And then I went fully raw vegan because it made so much intellectual sense to eat things that were fresh, that were water-based, that were nutrient rich and they were sweet and flavorful, so it took about two weeks to get used to that, and then, like, I never looked back. It was just like full speed ahead.:
0: I love that. You seem like you're an all or nothing sort of person though you're you're like grabbing the bull by the horns kind of guy. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, sometimes, yes, and sometimes no, like with working out. You know, I've been like sitting on the fence for a long time. You know, <laughs> so like I, I want to work out, and then like there's so much resistance, and you know I resisted the cold plunge for years, Oof. like yeah, and 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 pull ups I resist, and push ups now I actually have a routine where I'm doing it. So there's parts of my personality that are kind of all or nothing. And then there's other parts that I waffle and I'm human. What happened with the food? Like I knew that the food was cumulative and that food was poison. And when I started to look into, um, pesticides and glyphosate, you know, and genetically modified foods and animal products and the link between, um, processed meats and regular meats and dairy, like it just made sense. You know, I have a 15-month-old child and she's deriving, you know, 60, 70% of all of her calories from, you know, nursing, right? She's living on on breast milk and we're supplementing with um, lentil sprouts, garbanzo sprouts, alfalfa sprouts, broccoli sprouts, and pomegranate arils. So she's like eating fruit and sprouts. She'll eat a banana, she likes blueberries and so she's eating fruit and sprouts and breast milk. And it seems so natural to her, you know, to have fresh things. And for me it seemed really natural to eat fruit. And when I remove the economic barrier to like, oh, instead of eating a slice of watermelon, I could eat a whole organic watermelon in season. And I derived pleasure from it. It was easy. I still don't derive pleasure from push-ups and pull-ups and running. (laughs) Just, Just
0: keep going. Just keep going. It takes time. I can attest to that one. But I want to go back to something you said that I also noticed. I was browsing through your Instagram and you have a very positive social media presence. You talk about all of the powerful benefits of you know foods and sprouts and you know I was kind of browsing the comments which can be for some people just going down a rabbit hole and I noticed that people were saying the same thing that you believed a long time ago they were saying why are you trying to connect these diseases diabetes heart disease to food they're not related people were like literally criticizing you saying stop blaming food on these diseases. They're not related, which to me and you, especially me as a lifestyle medicine physician, it's like, it feels like it's something you can't unsee, right? You know, a hundred percent that there's a connection. You know that this food is affecting us, increasing our risk of chronic disease. It's not the only thing, you know, obviously, but it's a big part. Tell me a little bit about that. What goes through your mind? What do you feel? whenever you see people over and over again, they're just refusing to accept that there is a connection between what we eat and chronic disease.
1: I think unfortunately, um, they're like misinformed. So they've just been misinformed. And if we think about the food industry as an industry, a capitalistic industry that's geared towards profit, and we look at these organizations, associations that we think are designed to protect us, like the FDA and the USDA. And um, if you step back with a perspective of knowing that it's all about the money, follow the money, and that the industry lobbyists, I mean, the fact like, there's no question those same people would know like there is a link between smoking cigarettes and lung cancer, right? I I think it's pretty obvious at this point that the link between carbonated sugary beverages, um, added sugar, added oils, added salt, processed meats, regular meats, dairy, like these, these things, like nothing is more true than the adage that you as a pediatrician can speak to, you know, to a child. Like you are what you eat. Like everyone understands, like you are what you eat. And if what you're eating was constructed in a lab, right? If you think about all of the um, artificial preservatives, coloring chemicals that are being added to the food, and how easy it is for modern day food engineers to manipulate the brain with. Fats, oils, and sugars to trigger the dopamine and the pleasure sensors that you can either choose to be independent thought and make your own decisions or succumb to the manipulation of the food engineering coupled with the advertising and marketing and lastly just the societal aspects like you you go out and they associate, you know, one way to sell a lot of candy is to make Halloween, you know, really cool with costumes and trick-or-treating and pumping out like the the these carcinogenic diabetic, you know, foods. Crazy. And then if you think about just every day, how food is is the number one addiction in the world. Right. So so I'm just aware that we don't have to gamble. We don't have to, you know, smoke crack, right? Or drink alcohol, you know, or have sex like these, um, current addictions we don't have to do, but we have to eat. And I can tell you from my own experience, and I'm a very disciplined eater. As soon as food enters my mouth, almost all bets are off. Right. So my practice is like, I eat sprouts first. Right. I want to eat the sprouts first, and then I will add a dressing or I'll add a ferment or I'll add a fruit. But if, if I'm not thoughtful about what I eat, right, I don't eat like cooked food because it's too easy for me to overeat the cooked food. Just way too easy. Like if, you know, like I'm not against quinoa or brown rice or cooked legumes. I could just tell you. For me, I will grossly overeat that if someone has it, I will just eat it and eat it because it's so easy to eat and so flavorful but i'll tell you i don't overeat sprouts like <laughs> i eat i get i eat a lot and then it, I have to eat it slow because I have to chew them well I have to break them down and get the 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 soluble and insoluble fiber broken down to feed my microbiome but when When my brain knows that I've eaten enough sprouts, it says "Time out you've you've had enough, it's okay, and so I don't overeat things unless there's added salt oil sugar, and if they were to use concentrated artificial sweeteners, artificial oils, and flavoring, then that just you know you might as well be you know shot in the arm you know with an opiate because it just sends you down this cycle so so I went down this path of of doing this this was very intuitive for me because I was like okay what can I do to ensure that I will be alive that I could take this gift of life and enjoy it for as long as I can and it was also obvious to me that The more extra weight I had, the slower I was, the more lethargic I was, the more inflexible. So I've always made a focus of being, you know, appropriate weight. And now that I'm 57, I'm focusing more on not just being like in shape. I want to be fit. So I'm forcing myself to run. I'm forcing myself to do calisthenics and movement and pulling because, you know, when, you know, my baby is growing every day, she's now 25 pounds, like that's a big kettlebell. And so she's only going to gain the weight. So I I want to be strong so that I can, you know, appropriately carry her and be a good father.
0: Yeah, they definitely grow fast and your body has to adapt to those little growing babies and toddlers because you keep lifting them. It's like one of the number one reasons for young moms, I think, having back pain is <laughs> lifting their babies everywhere. So So I want to go back because I'm just I'm just really curious about what you're saying as far as overeating. So whenever you first transitioned to eating this way. Did you experience any health benefits yourself? And how do you know when you're overeating? Do you feel like you've always had the habit of overeating? And so you've just been conscious about that and been choosing ways to help you not overeat? How do you know whenever you're not overeating? I guess I'm just curious about how you define that for yourself.
1: Well, in the beginning, I associated food with a reward. With abundance, with success, with freedom. So food was definitely a reward system for me. And now, um, I so I used to eat until I was full, right? And then because I was, you know, I had this addictive propensity, and I was eating food that was highly processed, I would then even when I was full, I would eat on top of that. Which I knew was made no sense because there was no way I I, I needed any more um, calories. So that was key. But when you think about like eating food that is devoid of nutrition, it does make sense that even if one part of you is physiologically full, you would still be consuming additional food because the body may be searching for more nutrients and saying, "Hey, I know you're eating, but you're." You know, we haven't checked all the boxes yet, so keep eating. Now, um, it's somewhat intellectual for me, so I plan what I eat, right? I plan, my fooding, I, I plan my food intake windows, so I will eat between 11 a.m. and 6 p.m., and it gets dark really quickly now, so um, it's easy to stop eating when it's dark because I want to go to sleep. Um, But in that window of 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., I will schedule what I'm going to eat when. So if I have right now, um, the fall fruit are amazing. The pomegranates, the persimmons, the the apples are really, really delicious. And I know that I can eat four persimmons and I can eat two or three apples and I can eat a whole, I guess I yesterday ate a two pound pomegranate. It was almost the size of a mini pumpkin and it was so rich. And I know that the, like, I have no concern, zero concern about the glucose and fructose um, that exist in fruit. I have no concern whatsoever about that. So I'm eating, you know, to get nutrients and I'm also eating to get calories. Because the other half of my diet, other than fruit, are sprouts, and sprouts are relatively low calorie. So if I'm getting if I were to look at a breakdown of my nutritional consumption, I'm between 80 and 90 percent carbohydrate and between five and 10 percent protein and five and 10 percent fat. So I know that if I'm eating within that framework, I can literally eat as much as I want. And by eating the sprouts and eating the fruit, my desire to overeat the things I would overeat today is if you gave me fresh, wet medjool dates, Mm -hmm. I could eat twenty of them, right? And they're you know very high in sugar, but doesn't matter. But they're also high in calories. So at thirty-five to sixty calories per date, I would need to do an extra. Two or three miles to burn off every few dates. So at this point, I will not eat them except, you know, I will eat them infrequently.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I love dates. I feel like it's nature's caramel. I mean, well, the first time I had dates, I thought they were like some kind of made up thing. I was like, I can't believe this is like a natural food. They're just so sweet and so rich and just creamy and caramelly. I love them.
1: Yeah. So, so I think that was, that was my approach. So I I know if I'm overeating that, that I use a scale, right? I will weigh myself once a day. I use a smart scale so I can see and, and track my trends. I know that if I eat late, um, I'm going to be heavier in the morning, right? Cause I won't give myself time. I'm pretty regular. So I will have two movements a day, which you know, consistently, unless I travel, traveling will alter my movements, but it won't affect my overall digestion or health. So I really like to be, you know, have a routine as much as possible. And probably the greatest gift, you know, for me of, you know, having a child is that we go to sleep earlier. Like we just, we co-sleep and we just go to sleep earlier.
0: Yeah, it's nice because they're also your alarm clock as well. So, (laughs) all right, well, let's move on to sprouting. So you said that you actually had started eating sprouts even before you changed your diet. So tell me, how did you discover sprouting and how did it become a passion?
1: Well, I was exposed to sprouting and I would say for 25 years, I ate sprouts and I always thought of them as a side dish, as a garnish or as a snack. and then when i moved to the desert and i live uh at wonder valley hot springs near joshua tree it's equidistant between los angeles san diego and las vegas so it's mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere in the desert it was the first time that i experienced food scarcity issues there mm-hmm. were there were no health food stores farmer markets um plant-based restaurants like my town was um had only one restaurant in it. Believe it or not, it does have vegan options in this one restaurant that's in town. But I don't I don't eat them. I'll go there. They're very friendly. They allow me to bring my own pomegranates. So everyone's eating whatever they're eating and I'm just eating my pomegranates or I'll pull out a bag of sprouts. Um but when I was here, I had food scarcity concerns. And I was almost having a little bit of a breakdown thinking like, oh my God, I bought this land. I'm living here. And what am I going to eat? And Whole Foods, the nearest Whole Foods was an hour and a half away. So not sustainable. And I didn't move to be peaceful, to be in the car for three hours at, at uh, at a time. So that's when I was meditating in the hot springs staring up at the stars and I got the idea, I was like, oh, I could just sprout. And it seemed like too too good to be true. And I was like, huh? And then the download for, you know, I wrote this book, Living Out Here. I wrote the Sprout Book Living in the Desert. The the download from the Sprout Book came in one like powerful wave. It took me a while to write the book, um, but it was really Three parts. Number one, sprouts were food, right? That the it it broke through the realization that I started to dream and fantasize and go deep into thinking about all the varieties of sprouts that I could eat: alfalfa, radish, clover, broccoli, chia, lentil, fenugreek, all sorts of lentils, all sorts of peas. That there were literally hundreds of varieties. Of these seeds that could be sprouted, and that sprouts were vegetables. So that was a big, powerful insight for me. Number two, sprouts were vitamins and minerals. So your your podcast is technical, so I'll talk a little in, in depth. But every single sprout contains every single amino acid to form complete proteins. Sprouts contain micronutrients phytonutrients polyphenols bioflavonoids antioxidants prebiotics soluble and insoluble fiber that they were much more effective from a nutritional consumption perspective than synthetic multivitamins or extruded protein powders that you could take one handful of say sprouted garbanzo beans and have 20 grams of protein in that. And it would also be bioavailable and you'd get the fiber and other parts with them. So that was really powerful. And then the third was just the most mind boggling thing for me was that sprouts were medicine, that, that they contained these, bioactive compounds that could kill cancer cells, the glucosinolates and the isothiocyanates, that it was well known that cruciferous vegetables had these anti-cancer properties. And if you were to drill down, broccoli had the most of these anti-cancer properties with a compound that was formed from consuming the broccoli called sulforaphane. Well, it turns out that when Dr. Jed Fahey was searching for which variety of broccoli had the most of this sulforaphane, it turns out it wasn't the variety of broccoli. It was the stage of broccoli. And the stage was three-day-old broccoli sprouts and that the broccoli sprouts could kill cancer cells. They could detoxify benzene from the lungs. They could regulate insulin levels in diabetics. They could create heat shock proteins in the brain. And of course, from a weight loss perspective, sprouts are very high in fiber and low in calories and low in fat. So the more sprouts you eat, the the more weight loss you could have. So there was this whole other like rabbit hole that I could go down to. And that inspired me to write the sprout book and inspired me to find the best sprouting seeds and the best sprouting equipment and to come up with my mission that gave me like kind of whipped me into full alignment that I I need to be the voice of these sprouts. I need to get this message Out there, I need to deal with trolls, talk to doctors, talk to nutritionists, talk to NGOs, and I look at sprouts. So, another amazing thing which just triggered me about is that you can grow sprouts without soil, without sunshine, without fertilizer, and you can grow them in days. And so, When I looked at that, it meant that everybody could have sprouts. And if you look at the cost, like if you went to a health food store, you could buy sprouts for $5 a serving. But if you grow them on your own and you were to buy seeds from the sprouting company or any organic sprouting seed, you'd spend like 50 cents a serving. And in a few days, you're getting $5 worth of value. So it meant that anyone could have access to this super high quality, nutritious food. And so life just could move me in that direction. And then everything I looked at from an opportunity perspective, nothing seemed as exciting to me than to share this message.
0: So you've become the sprout evangelist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, the sprouts took over my microbiome. They've now taken over my brain. So I'm a, in service of the sprouts.
0: No, it's possible. It's kind of like that fungus that takes over those ants in the jungle and makes like the zombie ants. Have you heard of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah so maybe. But this is like better, though. You're not a, you're not a zombie. You're, you're very healthy and thriving. So <laughs> it's kind of the opposite.
1: Yes. Well, look, nature is very powerful. Right. Nature is very powerful. And, you know, if we think back, like during World War II, 40 percent of Americans were growing their own food and they had victory gardens. Today, less than one percent of America grows their own food. So this is an opportunity for people to grow their own food. And I could see like it is so fascinating to watch children watch their sprouts grow. And see how literally every time, if you look at the sprouts twice a day, every day, you will see um, visual indications of growth. And within less than a week, you will see exponential growth, like they will grow 10x their time. And it is a true uh, miracle. I mean, I I don't know how else to say this is a miracle in your hand. Like you don't need magic tricks. You don't need anything else. You get seeds, you get water. They sequester carbon and oxygen from the environment and they're growing. And the interesting and fascinating thing about their growth is that it's not just water weight. They're not just absorbing the water. They are increasing their dry weight and. When you were to take something as simple as a lentil and you were to sprout a lentil, you double the antioxidant levels, you triple the vitamin C, you quadruple the soluble and insoluble fiber. So it's unbelievable and that everyone gets to participate in their consumption.
0: Yeah, it's very empowering too. And I think we have become very disempowered when it comes to our food and our food system. So this is something definitely that can put the power back into each person, each family. But I guess, I mean, I'm not very good at like physics and all these things. I don't understand how, I I don't know if you're able to explain this. How does sprouting increase protein by 20%, increase all the vitamins and stuff if basically you're just giving it water? I mean, how does that work? How does that happen?
1: Well, it turns out that a seed is a complete living organism in a dormant stage. And if we were to go inside the seed, a seed has an endosperm, it has an embryo, and it is waiting for activation. So it contains the potential of the full mature plant. So in that first week of growth, The seed will go through a biological transformation similar to that of trying to explain to a child uh, a transformation from a caterpillar into a butterfly. Like, what's happening there? Right. So, the seed has all the energy that it needs without fertilizer, without anything to actually grow. So, it's actually transforming and doing this. Metamorphosis, by consuming the water, the oxygen, and the carbon with its life force, is able to go from a seed into a full-grown sprout in that um, one week. And the increases in the micronutrients and the phytonutrients and the amino acids is a result of this biological metabolic transformation. So. It is very deep, but the sprouts are actually generating heat like they are going through this transformation. And you could see the root and the shoot forming out. And the the sprouts are so smart that if they're not getting um, enough water, they will shoot out additional root hairs, will shoot out from the roots so they're able to um, absorb more Moisture from the air in this effort for survival. So, how does it work on a full level? It's just part of the transformation. And if you were to do a nutritional assay uh, every single day from seed through sprout, the nutritional profile would vary every single day. And so, it's not quite a mystery. Um, But it's not um, easily explainable, you know, outside of, you know, the botanist labs. And, you know, I've worked very closely with Dr. Greg Gilbert at University of California at Santa Cruz, who's very almost poetic in his description of this. But for me and for the lay person, um, you get to see it in front of your eyes. Right so the proof yeah. is right in front of your eyes.
0: It's super fascinating and amazing and I think you've given us plenty of reasons why we should be sprouting. So tell us how should we start sprouting? What tips do you have for people that have never sprouted anything in their lives at least not on purpose?
1: <laughs> yeah. It well I would say the easiest way and and I've been working on this for for 5 years that a lot of the sprouting technology was the same passed down for hundreds of years that people were using a mason jar that was designed for canning, um, for sprouting. And then you could use a filter, whether it was cheesecloth or plastic or stainless steel. So I put together a little kit, you know, that is sold at the sprouting um, And it's very simple. And you can get the seeds, you can get the filter, you could get a drip tray and the stand, all an integrated kit um, packaged up that looks pretty. And then sprouting seeds, wherever you get them from, should be organic, should be tested for pathogens, and should be tested for a high germination rate so that you're starting off with a simple process. But it is really so simple. You You take a vessel, you add the seeds in it, you add water, you let them soak overnight, you rinse out the water, you put in fresh water, and let let it stand at an angle to drain off the extra water, and you rinse them twice a day, and you will get healthy, beautiful um sprouts
0: and then is every kind of sprout have a different day that you should harvest it, or is it all about the same?
1: It's a great question, doctor. So the legume sprouts grow much faster and so you can have sprout legumes in as little as three days and the garden variety, the alfalfa, the radish, the clover, they could grow up to seven days. Mm. Turns out the broccoli, if you're eating them for food, broccoli sprouts, you would let them grow for five to seven days. If you were consuming them for medicinal purposes... um the the optimum day to eat them is day 3 mm. so because you, you it, as the this the broccoli sprout grows the every seed has a finite amount of glucoraffin and as the sprout grows it's actually being diluted so the earlier stage of that particular compound is better now one would ask well why do you just eat the seeds well the seeds are designed to protect themselves. And so they have enzyme inhibitors, there's lectins, there's phytic acid and trypsin. So you want to soak them, germinate them. And by day three, the the seed has already gone through the transformation and is now a vegetable.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. In my mind, I'm thinking of a graph of, you know, maximum nutrient uh, Proportion within that broccoli sprout, and you know, day three it's up at the top, and then it slowly starts coming down. You know, so you want to pick depending on what you're using it for. You're going to pick the stage that's going to benefit you. So once you get used to it, uh, are you able to just like eyeball them? Like for you, I'm sure that you can just kind of see them and you you know when they're ready.
1: A hundred percent. It's 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 so like I've now conservatively sprouted millions of of sprouts like millions. And so it's very easy. And sprouts are my friend. And I love sharing the message. I went to uh, the running man festival and I brought like 20 pounds of sprouts. And I was walking around with tongs, handing people sprouts (laughs) in their bare hand and they were just eating them. It was just such a joy.
0: Yeah, the sprouts have definitely taken over your body and your brain. I can attest to that. Okay, so here's my next question. You're talking about just straight up eating sprouts, which I think most people in the United States are not ready for that yet because, <laughs> you know, like I I will have adults in here all the time saying, "I want my child to eat vegetables, but I don't like vegetables myself," you know? So, tell us what are the different ways that we can eat sprouts and is there a variety that's more like beginner friendly? Because I know some sprouts, they just have more bitter, more spicy flavors. So for these people that they're like, okay, I want, I want to do this. I'm ready to eat healthy foods. How can they ease into the sprout life?
1: So in the sprout book, I hired um, Oprah's recipe developer to create 40 recipes um, with me for the book. And so there's a lot you could do with them and they're in the book. So that's one thing. Um, the easiest sprouts to eat are probably alfalfa sprouts and lentil sprouts, right? They are crunchy, they are light, they are flavorful, um, easy to eat. And what I would recommend is people start small, finish big and start adding sprouts to your salads to your cereals to your sandwiches to your wraps to your smoothies um and incorporate sprouts into your diet and then you know a big move would be having a salad where sprouts are the vegetable in the salad and then you add whatever gadgets and carrots and peppers and mushrooms and dressing but you use sprouts as the base of the salad and that like once you get to that level then it's like you're home free because then you could find a way of consuming several servings of sprouts every day
0: that's expert level but what you're saying is that you just eat them plain like you just have like your handful or however many amounts of sprouts before you even eat the rest of your meal
1: yeah yeah, I, I like them and I take them with me. They're very fast food. You can see I did a video of like fast food or I just grabbed a handful of sprouts and I'm eating it in the car as I'm driving. And, but I dress them up. And I also love um nori seaweed, like the raw nori seaweed because um, the seaweed is an algae and the nori seaweed is a good source of EPA and DHA, medium chain omega. Um, fatty acids. So the chia and flax seeds have ALA, but the Nori seaweed has the EPA and the DHA. And so I like that. So I will make little wraps and um, have sushi with sprouts and seaweed and tahini and ginger and maybe wasabi, which is also a cruciferous vegetable um, that I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with the wasabi. Like it it burns and it's it's spicy but I seem to like it. So
0: <laughs> It's like playing with fire.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, do you do you stick some avocado in there too because if so I'm in.
1: You can stick avocado in. I used to eat avocados like they were going out of style and and now I I've lowered my fat levels significantly so now I'll have, you know, a slice of avocado or a quarter avocado as opposed to the the old days when I was eating three or four avocados in a in a serving.
0: And then I just want to make sure that everybody's clear and make sure I understand properly too. The best way to get nutrients from sprouts is in the raw form. So we really shouldn't be cooking with them, is that correct?
1: yeah what happens is when you cook them, you know certain um vitamins are susceptible to heat, and so you lose the water content and you lessen the um a lot of the vitamins like vitamin C and the like now there there is some research that says if when you cook a tomato, you in, increase the um lycopene and lysine from them. But in general, I I don't I don't cook anything, so I I really like eating things raw, and sprouts in particular are most beneficial raw. Okay,
0: got it. Right, you already convinced us that it's very inexpensive to sprout, and that can actually save us a lot of money and give us a lot of nutrient density. So that's great. But can sprouts ever be dangerous?
1: Well, I published my first peer-reviewed white paper. On food safety. So I worked with Dr. Jed Fahey and Jack Smiloff, where we studied foodborne illness for the last 25 years. And it turns out sprouts are as safe, if not safer, than any other food. And especially homegrown sprouting is particularly um, safe. And But what's important is to be present with your food. Wash and sanitize with hot and soapy water your equipment, and you can surface sanitize the seeds using a rapid oxidizing agent, whether it be hydrogen peroxide or white vinegar, you know, or sodium hypochlorous. And if you were to soak the seeds in in the agent for a few minutes and then rinse them off, you could be removing any um, microbial activity on the surface level of the seed by up to 2 million to 1%. And then you're starting with something very safe.
0: That's good tips. And I'm sure this is all in your book as well, right? So that when we start, we're doing it in the best way. Yeah, this is great. I mean, this is really amazing information. I have known for a long time the importance and the, um, the power of sprouts, but haven't gotten around to doing my own. I've used some of the sprouting kits, which has been great, but it doesn't really include like legumes and things like that. So I I definitely want to start trying it out for myself. Um, So this is great. And I hope that everybody that's interested in it will purchase your book. And um, also on Kindle this week, it was on the Kindle, like if you have the Kindle subscription that you can download it as part of the Kindle membership. So that was great. Okay, Doug. So what do you wish more people knew?
1: I wish more people knew that you actually could live a healthy and happy life eating raw fruits, vegetables, seeds, nuts, seaweeds, and sprouts.
0: I love that. Succinct. And how can we connect with you and purchase your book, The Sprout Book?
1: I would recommend buying the book at a small local bookseller. Just tell them you want it and they'll have it in a few days or It's on Amazon. It's on Books A Million. It's on Barnes and Noble. So unbelievable. You know, for a first time author, I was really surprised that the book became the number one best selling vegetarian book, vegan book on Amazon, you know, and stood there for a while in that. So I would recommend that. And you could connect with me. I'm on Instagram at Doug Evans. And you could sign up for my newsletter at thesproutbook.com. And You can follow me on TikTok, and under (laughs) the the name Sproutwiz, S P R O U T W I Z, and you could find me, you know, at Wonder Valley Hot Springs. So, uh, this is where you know I spend most of my time.
0: Sounds like a great place. Do you have the Sprouts dancing on TikTok, or what's going on on TikTok?
1: I mean, I have over two hundred twenty five thousand followers on TikTok, so. I'm I'm connecting with the seventy-five million young people about sprouts and sprouting and food sovereignty and just sharing the message with them. And so they're they're excited. Um so I, I like I like that. But they're, they're not dancing. It. I'm I'm pretty much like my same self all the time you know, on all platforms. On all platforms. The same yeah.
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for spreading the message, for being the Sprout Evangelist. And I wish you much luck. And I hope that you're able to reach all the ends of the earth with your Sprout message. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Yami. Thank you.